Thanks for joining us. I'm Austin Thomas, joined by Ethan Bonin and Anton Ryder for part seven of Jimi Hendrix. It's the final countdown. Yeah, we're getting there. Two more to go, probably. Gonna end on the year. I think we're yeah. I think two more is is where we're gonna end up. Just as I said all along. Yeah, nine parts. Yep, you called it. Yeah, you did. Now it won't. Now. It won't happen. Great. We're going to be a Jimi, Jimi Hendrix podcast after this. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't we go ahead and get into the story for right now? There's no time to spare. So when we last <laughs> left Jimi Hendrix, he was just entering 1969 in nice. New York City. It's the summer of 69. Mm, thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm. Jimi was announcing to the world that the Jimi Hendrix experience they all knew and loved was coming to an end. Noel was unhappy and was in the process of transitioning into his own band, Fat Mattress. It's a bad band name, according to Ethan, <laughs> yep. and supported by Tony. Agreed. But I took I took a little listen, and their song "Magic Forest" is pretty catchy, and the subject matter feels very familiar. But I can't quite put my finger on it. What's it sound like? Just LSD. Oh, okay. in general. <laughs> it's a, called Magic Forest. <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe you'd infer that. I did not. If I came home, I wouldn't be proud to tell my mother that my band name was. What is this fat mattress? Yeah. 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 What's up, Mom? Oh, Mom, I just joined a new rock band called Stinky Couch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not good. Called called Chunky Ottoman. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Not great. I don't yeah, know. It doesn't work. This doesn't. It's obese chair. Wow, great. We gotta get past it. <laughs> incredible. First incredible night. improv by us tonight. <laughs> oh, and Mitch, who was actually enjoying the upcoming changes, planned to stick around and become what Jimmy planned for any and all musicians around him. Hired hands that could jam and record and be swapped out and be replaced. And this is, of course, after he tried a few other drummers and then decided, okay, frig it, we'll just stick with Mitch. Well, he likes Mitch, and Mitch likes yeah. him. We we yeah. kind of said in past episodes that him and Noel had a better relationship, but at the end, him and Mitch had a much better relationship. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah, that yeah. changes it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're about to find yeah. <laughs> Jimmy's plans were similar to what he dealt with in the Chitlin circuit, but he wanted no real quote unquote band. He wanted his electric church where he could bring in the players needed to play the tunes he was creating. If it was more bluesy, he was going to bring in more blues players. If it was more jazzy, we'll bring in jazz players. Unfortunately, though, there was a big hurdle in the way of all of this. A Mr. Mike Jeffrey. Mm. Mike was certain that nothing was going to work as well as the Jimi Hendrix experience. Money Mike wasn't liking it. Oh, Money Mike needs that money. (laughs) He can smell it. Smell it if it's green. (laughs) (laughs) To Mike, Jimi was obviously the act, but Noel and Mitch were equally as important. Yeah, Mike 
cared pretty deeply for Mitch and Nolan. It didn't sit well with him that Jimmy was putting them aside after all they'd done. Well, we might be giving Mike a little too much credit here because (laughs) what I think is that Mike Moore knew that a band overhaul with a name change, change in style, change in members would be much more difficult to market and wouldn't make nearly as much money as this established band. I don't know about all that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So as soon as Jimmy began speaking about it back in 1968, Mike was not all right with it. And he would do all he could to make sure they stayed together for as long as possible. Back in 1968, a tour was set up for them in Europe for 1969, traveling through Sweden, Denmark, Germany, and France through the month of January, where they played 26 shows over the course of 16 days. Because if you remember, they were doing a lot of two shows a day. Jimmy and the band actually headed back to London on January 2nd, so Jimmy could again see his most serious girlfriend, Kathy Etchingham, and actually moved in with her during that time. Austin here with an exciting new segment, History in Music History Throughout History. Woo! And there's a great tie-in here <laughs> because the flat that Kathy sets up for him is, to Jimmy's surprise, right next door to the home of the late George Friedrich Heindel. Handel. Friedrich. Handel. 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 Friedrich. Isn't it Handel? I feel like no, we, 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 we toiled over know. this. Um, we talked know. about him quite a bit in our Beethoven series. I think it's Handel. I think it's yeah, fucking Handel. Like Handel. Handel liquor. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's got to be it. And he <laughs> was a big influence on Ludwig, as we talked in, the, in our series on him. And yep. uh, generally one of the most renowned composers of all time. So there was like constantly people coming to tour his house and then surprised Jimi Hendrix is just here too. Just imagining like prim, proper <laughs> classical music people walking through the apartment and suddenly they see Jimi Hendrix and I'm not quite sure if you think they would have recognized him at the time I don't know like do you think oh yeah, yeah. London oh, yeah, in 1969 yeah. absolutely yeah, well right. it was a lot of students who were coming to tour the house ah, okay mm-hmm. and they wouldn't just see Jimi Hendrix Jimi Hendrix would like give the tour they'd oh, yeah. like knock yeah, on the front door heavy. and then Jimmy <laughs> would open the door and be like so you want to see the house and then you just <laughs> yeah, show take you through. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's pretty fun right that's yes. a good sign <laughs> Okay. Yeah. They also did some more television appearances. They did interviews and they even worked in Polydor Studios with Ira Apparent, the band that they had toured with and that was also managed by Mike Jeffrey. All right. So I finally decided that since we've mentioned them three times now that I should listen to their music. (laughs) Three episodes. Yeah. Three episodes mentioning Probably 15 times. Yeah, we, yeah. we talked about them a lot. <laughs> Got it. And uh, they have one album on Spotify, and on the cover it says, produced by and featuring Jimi Hendrix. So they are kept alive by the fact that Jimi Hendrix existed. Mm. No, this is, a, this is entirely another reason that Mike wanted the Jimi yeah. Hendrix experience to yeah. stay together, yeah, yes. was because he was trying to spread his wings, his managerial wings again, and was having no luck. <laughs> yep. And so he's like, yeah. the Jimi Hendrix experience is my only cash cow here I need and you have to, to help together. the other band i tried to, yeah. <laughs> to get to work <laughs> exactly you have to pull this this guy this band along you're my anchor <laughs> how about it so coming home for the band had a mixed reaction amongst the members as noel and mitch were happy to be back in their home country where things were more familiar for them but jimmy was less excited he was happy to be back 
but he knew that the money and the real fame was in the States. And the best fish and chips in the world. <laughs> in the oh, States? You can't get that, you can't get that soul <laughs> food in London. That's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, we got the best fish and chips. Oh, yeah. um, mm. I'm just kidding. That might be the only thing they do better. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! Hot take. Creepers. I'll take it. Well, they can't win any wars. Damn, can't. Sure, goddamn right they can't. Britain in World War II was a powerhouse. Anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that there. So, uh, you fucking what? <laughs> oh, God. So, Mike knew all of this as well, which is why they only played 13 of their 101 shows outside of North America in the last year, and only one of those shows was in London. And this year would be no different. Through the entire year, they only played 16 shows outside North America, and only two of them would be in London, both at the Royal Albert Hall basically the biggest venue in the area. Mm -hmm. Jimmy knew that he had made it in London, but he knew their time there was in the past to an extent. If there's one really concrete thing this whole show has taught us, it's that people move on really quick when you stop giving them exactly what they want. Oh, yeah. yeah, and what they wanted was a <laughs> shitload of money. I think at one point they literally said no place in the UK can afford us anymore. Jesus. Yeah. So. <laughs> I just also mean the general populace you start changing just a little bit oh yeah decided yeah that's not like what they're sound. into <laughs> exactly yeah as soon as you start going actual blues and not not white white-eyed blues yeah white washed yep. whatever you yeah. want to call it yeah exactly white so all eyes. of this <laughs> white eyes isn't that right blue eyed is i think what you meant girl. <laughs> Jesus. as soon as we arianize it <laughs> yep see yep there that's it is. what i'm trying to say and we've made it <laughs> wow. God. Two, Jew, two germans and a scots make a podcast how about it <laughs> So all of this, so all of this furthered the tensions between the members, again, mainly Noel, but all of that would have to be put on hold so they could begin their first tour of the year. The tour went well for them, but everyone could see that the group was less cohesive than they'd been before. Some shows would be incredible, but others would feature a Jimmy that would barely sing and wouldn't attempt to do anything spectacular with his guitar. Is this the phase where he started chewing huge wads of gum while he was playing so no one could even really understand what he was saying or singing? <laughs> this was the phase where he would just like not face the crowd for the entire show. Don't oh, you just badass though. <laughs> that is a little badass. All right. Good point. Way to fuck, flip it. Fuck y'all. I've seen some badass hardcore bands do that and it's kind of cool sometimes. I've oh. also seen some really uncomfortable ones. Where yeah. It's actually just they're it's, scared. It's a very thin line yeah. between being like yes. I don't give yes. a fuck about any of this and like I have crippling social anxiety yeah yeah yep. which is a huge line. part of that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, so but Jimmy who was fine in front of a crowd just didn't have his heart in these shows mm. the wheels are coming off the metaphorical wagon at this point I think that's a great yes. way to put it there buddy <laughs> the band just wasn't meshing and when that happened, Jimmy put on a lackluster performance. During one show, the band's old manager, Chaz, showed up to watch, and Jimmy asked him flat out to come back as their manager, as Mike already wasn't working out great, but Chaz said no. Yeah, Chaz is still very much in their orbit at this time because he's actually managing Fat Mattress, Yeah, and he was like actively getting them on the same shows, 
and then he would just let them stretch their set times like as long as they wanted because Mike was never really involved in the actual shows and Chaz knew Jimmy hated confrontation so he wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why? Because fuck him. <laughs> no, <'cause, laughs> why we can. not? Yeah. <laughs> he was going to say no. Do whatever you want. <laughs> the last important thing that happened during this short tour was on January 12th, Jimmy met a fan two years younger than him named Monica Daneman, a German mm. figure skater who was drug along to one of Jimmy's shows in Dusseldorf. Monica Daneman, what a name, Monica Daneman. It really Daneman. flows in a memorable way, Monica Daneman. Not that you need to remember it specifically, it's just a smooth name, Monica Daneman. Monica Daneman. flows off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. yeah Nice name. I'll forget that name. She probably won't make it another appearance. So don't yeah. need to know it. Yep. Just yeah. a fan. She's yep. just a yep. fan. <laughs> <laughs> she became <laughs> she became infatuated with him as soon as she saw him. <laughs> they met up the next day when she showed up at his hotel and he swooned her. They hung out all day and she even came to that day's shows and then spent the night together. And they didn't. Seal the deal here. Instead, no, they no, talked no, no. all night about life, including Monica's decision to not use drugs and Jimmy's hatred of some drugs, heroin in particular. Note it. Mm. Note it. Note it. <laughs> and from then on, Monica was a part-time girlfriend for Jimmy whenever he found himself in the area. Yeah, she just kind of stays there in Dusseldorf and only ever sees her there. And everything there like, works out just fine. Weren't there some mm -hmm. like hounds in Dusseldorf or something? Hounds? I don't know. Maybe I don't. I feel like you're. I feel you wanna, like it is a thing. Do you want to help? Uh, do you want to walk there. us? <laughs> or maybe, maybe was there a serial killer in Dusseldorf? Is that what I'm thinking of? I just the vampire Dusseldorf. That's what it was. Peter okay, thank you. That's all I needed. There we go. I knew there was something. Yeah. Hounds Incredible. is cool too, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, just, just dogs. Oh, I was thinking of hounds at Baskerville. That's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Where's sure. Baskerville? Uh, it's yeah. from it's from uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Hounds of Baskerville. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. So okay. we've just fully gone in to make believe. Yeah, fully off rail. Yeah. <laughs> totally gone. This is the, granted, we are saying the vampire of Dusseldorf. So yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. real, right? He yeah, was real. He was real. Yeah. yeah, and so is Monica, but she's just not important. Monica Dusseldorf. <laughs> forget the name. So after name. the tour, nothing was planned for the band outside of the two shows in London in mid February, and then nothing more until they were set to tour again in April meaning the band was disbanded for over two months to do as they please. Jimmy almost immediately headed back to the States to hang out in New York City again, jamming at the scene and recording at the record plant, now essentially booked for whenever he wanted it. Tony, I'm starting to think you're right. Maybe he should consider building his own studio at this point. Ah, no. <laughs> Maybe. No. That would be more cost effective, I feel like. Ah, you know, some would say that. <laughs> Some might who's behind it. Who's orchestrating Depends. it? <laughs> Jimmy was only in the city for two weeks before having to go back to London to play at the Royal Albert and then do some recording with the band at Olympic Studios, hoping to get some new material. At this point, it had only been four months since Electric Ladyland was released, but if you'll remember, track was keeping them on a tight schedule, even with the fact that Ed Chalpin was beginning to come over to Polydor and Track Records in the UK to try and get a repeat on what he had done in the States with Warner. Jones in for that next big payday, baby. <laughs> oh, man, that $250,000 guarantee wasn't enough, plus all the no. back pay from, these, from all of his incredible great selling albums more i need more 
I mean, is anything enough when you know there's probably more of it? Yeah. Good point. True. Good point. <laughs> Still getting <laughs> shortchanged. And you know what? Legally, not wrong. He's not wrong about any of it. <laughs> How about it? <laughs> He's got legal feet to stand on. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, not much from their time in Olympic Studios would be finalized as it was becoming clear that not only were the experience struggling on stage, they were also having troubles in the studio. You know, all good things must come to an end. They do say that. They do say that. Yep. Jimmy hung around in London until he and Mitch headed back to New York on March 13th to get ready for their U.S. tour and work on some music. Noel arrived about a week later, and luckily for him, it was agreed that Fat Matrix could open for all their shows on their tour through the U.S. This would mean huge crowds and a decent paycheck for their debut U.S. tour. That's huge for Noel because he's cashing a double paycheck that tour. Oh, yeah. Exposure. I mean, he's getting a triple with the exposure. Yeah, and they have quadruple. Yeah, they, yeah, they haven't Double actually. Exposure. They haven't even finalized what the exchange rate is on U.S. dollars to to just pure exposure. But yeah, it's pretty good. It's good. I know. <laughs> if there was a pretty good calculator for exposure, man, oh. it's nearly one to one. From everything I'm told, it's worth something. Yeah, every venue has told me that exposure is good. <laughs> Apparently, the reason this was allowed to happen was because Mike saw the whole thing as a marketing gimmick that he could use to promote the shows easier. Though, I do have to wonder if Mike allowed Fat Matchers on the tour to basically just convince Noel to come back and do the tour in the first place. Because if you remember, he wasn't really signed any contracts, and so he wasn't required to do this tour, and he didn't love the idea of having to come back. But... Mike wanted the band together, so promising him a spot on this lucrative tour with his new band would be hard to turn down. Those are just my thoughts. I don't know. That's sound reasoning to me. That's a big, fat, throbbing double paycheck. Yeah, yeah dude. A big, fucking, fat mattress. Gum name. Mattress. Right back to it. Obese <laughs> chair. Dude, I was just, I was, didn't want it. I was trying not to. <laughs> it's a dumb name. <laughs> so before the tour even began, Jimmy went back into the record plant as well as into Olmstead Studios to record his own music and jam with other musicians in the area, as well as Noel and Mitch. And of course, always bringing a posse of whoever was with them as well. And Swollen Mike- futon. <laughs> that's disgusting. Is that good? That's gross. Like, it is gross. Throbbing yeah. rocking chair. Oh, is there? I didn't know that we were, had to stay within the confines of stuff coming up with dumbass band names. Give me a break. Oh. <laughs> if you're trying to tell me there is no pattern for art, you're right, I guess. <laughs> Oh, cellulose sofa. Oh my god! Here we go. You're finding. You're finding the. Uh, you're finding the alliteration. Yeah, I'm Good getting more, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll come up with more through the episode. Oh yeah, that's a promise. It's a bad man. Don't want it. You guarantee we'll give you more. <laughs> anyway, Mike was beginning to mm. wise up that Jimmy's time in the record plant was beginning to cost a lot of money, and so he was working on the idea that, in theory. He could figure out a way to save a lot of money and headaches in planning. Just needs a little bit of capital on this one, Dad. He's not exactly liquid, liquid at the moment. The ah. pockets are a little empty, Jimmy. You mind spotting yeah. me? I'll get you back as soon as my pay, as soon as payday comes around. I promise, I promise. promise. <laughs> uh, but on, as we said in episodes past, Jimmy loved to play in the studios, meaning both playing his guitar and messing around with anything he could. 
And oftentimes the time wouldn't amount to anything useful. And the people in the space who were there just to be around Jimmy made everything harder for everyone. But man, it makes some great stories. Oh, it does. It sounds so fun. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Sounds like such a good time. (laughs) Nonstop party. Yeah. Envious. So Mike began developing plans for a place just for Jimmy to record whenever he wanted. See, there are some really nice moments from Mike. They're few and far between, but this is a benevolent and selfless idea. (laughs) I don't... (laughs) I can't. <laughs> is, is, is it's palpable. This, is this, uh, oh, you're you're being serious. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a serious, it's oh, a sincere understand. statement. Yeah, Mike, Mike's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, take the good with the bad and there's some good. Yeah. All of this is going to have to be hashed out later though because they have a goddamn tour to get ready for. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And this tour Money's began be on, yeah, remember, Mike's got to make his 40% from yes. every tour show. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to come by. Mm. So their tour began on April 11th, traveling around North Carolina, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, California, Michigan, Indiana, Maryland, New York, Hawaii, Colorado, and even up in Canada to play in Toronto. No Iowa Day. I'm I'm really not surprised. They played mm. in Iowa in 1968. That's maybe awesome. in 1967. Yeah, they played in Davenport. That's kind of fun. That's not even maybe. that's not even the big one. Yeah, it was um it was on the leg with Air Apparent and Soft Machine, but right before Vanilla Fudge hopped on. Nice. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, nineteen sixty eight. How about that? Pretty cool. So to say the tour was <laughs> underwhelming would be an understatement. Jimmy had little interest in the tour, even though every venue they were playing in ended in words like arena, coliseum, amphitheater, stadium, or even garden. Hmm. So big and these things still bore him. What a what a life he's living. Dude, he just wanted to be in the studio. That's all he wanted. Oh my God, he's just amazing. way over it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> they found journal entries from him on like a lot of these big days. And some days he would just write SOS for same old shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is your same old shit. <laughs> you're not allowed to do anything new when you're on stage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can improvise a tiny bit, but in the studio, you can do whatever you want and yeah, on stage yeah. you just have to play the songs that everyone wants to hear mm. so sad of pain yep. but even so jimmy was more interested in getting back to the studio which was made very obvious by the fact that pretty much every time the band had more than a single day off from a show jimmy would make his way back to new york city to get back into the record plan yeah pretty much if he had enough time to be there for a few hours he was going because he had the guala to do it at this point oh he had the he had the moolah that's for yeah. sure yeah he Ching. was doing fine he would at any given moment yeah it, go, it comes and goes quick <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 yeah. he loved to spend it he loved to earn it yeah. and he loved to spend it too yep so he would play with people work on new material and then tinker with old material he just loved the studio more than the stage. Mm-hmm. In my crappy little office where I've recorded a few things with my little focus, <laughs> right? I have had just about as much fun as I had playing shows for two years. So I kind of get that. Yeah. It's a lot more fun to just record music than it is to play it when you do it all the time. God, yeah. I fucking love playing for people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I like the live aspect more, but I'm a, I'm a crook. The, crock. the pay yeah. for play shows were terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yes. That's yes. easy. To, yeah, that's a that's an easy point to make. <laughs> yeah, nothing good there. <laughs> but really, the only good thing that happened on this tour, besides the oodles of money that was made. Yeah, it was estimated to bring in $1.3 million, $1,969. Uh, oh. That's $9.7 million now. Oh. 
Good. <clears throat> and Mike Jeffrey got 40% of it. Oh, yeah. my God. Mm. Got 40% of it. That's not enough for all of it. Shaved off money. the top. <laughs> Incredible. It's almost half. It's almost half. Yes. Yeah, you got about $4 million for yeah. this tour for himself. Mm. Jesus. Modest. <sighs> but the only good thing that happened besides that was that Jimmy was finally able to meet up with his old friend, Billy Cox, at their show in Memphis. And just as a refresher, since we haven't talked about Billy since part two, Billy Cox mm. was the guy who was in the military <laughs> so with ago. Jimmy and played with Jimmy around the area in the King Casuals and decided not to follow Jimmy on the Chitlin circuit. That Billy Cox. I really like that Billy said a big part of him not meeting up with Jimmy sooner after they both were out was that he was worried about jimmy's use of amphetamines which at the time like when they were close was barely a fraction of what it is now but i guess there's a little more reward to the risk I suppose. yeah yeah <laughs> billy cox was the guy that started on the stand-up base right and they made him move to the normal base yep so, you got yeah. it yeah yeah he's the katie of of the Jimi hendrix world <laughs> just take your hello. base you flip it on its side and hello you got a base <laughs> perfect <laughs> thank you i just rewatched that last week because so it's on good. netflix now we're, at the, we're getting to the point where we've had more hello. episodes with school of rock references than not probably and that, isn't that the way it should be it should oh yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah it'd be I'm a thing to not negative. have it that be not have it be that way Yep. <laughs> so, so when they met up after the show, Jimmy told Billy about his current situation with Noel and the future of the Jimi Hendrix experience and that he wanted Billy to be a replacement musician playing bass with the Electric Church. Billy loosely agreed and Jimmy sent him to New York with $500 and a promise of a phone call when the quote, time was right and actually jammed with him a decent amount during the times that he would head back to the city during legs of the tour. But this was by far the highlight of this tour. Yeah, Jimmy paid it forward a little bit more here too because he actually sent Billy a brand new bass and because his was so old and worn out. So that's mm -hmm. a nice gesture. Yeah. But also Jimmy was buying equipment for anyone he liked that was around for more than an hour. So <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, no, not only did he give him a new bass, he sent him to New York and then he's like, hey, I've got a buddy there named Buddy Miles. His name was Buddy. <laughs> And he's like, go play with him. You'll earn money playing shows. So you'll like make a living there until I'm done. And then we'll make a living together. So yep. it all worked what out. What a sad guy. Yeah. It's awesome. So the first of the major lowlights happened on May 3rd at the Toronto airport when Jimmy was arrested on charges of possession of drugs. Custom agents opened his suitcase to find a vial that contained three plastic bags of heroin and a tube of hash. Oh, he's got that hard shit. Yeah, mm. sure does. God, yeah, Jimmy. Nothing wrong with a little hash, but <laughs> the yeah, little bit. Not the hash. In, in moderation. Hash. I, I like to microdose my hash. <laughs> I actually boof it. Yes. I, well, I don't yeah, know what that means. That means when you put it up your asshole. <laughs> and you guys are above me. Gosh, <laughs> Animal. Ugh, boofing some hash, huh? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> that could be a band name. How about that? Boofing, boofing some, some hash. hash. <laughs> I'm a oh, hash boofer. <laughs> What's that band? Leftover crack. <laughs> so Jimmy... That's actually a band name. That's actually a band name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. So Jimmy was just as shocked as everyone else, as the rule had always been that the star never gets caught. 
Everyone was told to make sure to look in their suitcase and make sure that nothing was in there, as it was known that Canada was a stickler for drugs. Canada was so well known for their meticulous drug checks that Mitch actually had a leather suit custom made with no pockets on it, just to make it completely clear that he had nothing incriminating on him. God. God. If I recall, didn't Waylon have a band member have a run-in at Canada? I think he might have, but I can't remember. Oh, I remember I think Axel right. Rose tried to bring a Sten gun in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did that. I think, I think <laughs> he had a band member who got caught with marijuana on the way into That Canada. sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I think he might be right. Yeah. But that little, the Mitch's little Pan Am bag, though, right through. Yeah, no yeah. problems yeah. there. <laughs> well, yeah. In the last episode, Air Parent got. A little bit of weed and got deported <laughs> to Ireland. God. Yeah, I think. That, oh, I think that if you're caught, I think you can just be like banned from coming into Canada. Like, I think yeah. they just ban you from coming in. Which is like funny ever. because now weed is completely legal in Canada. Oh, legal as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck no, they got it. They got it figured out. They said, "Hey, yeah, wait a minute. No, maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> we were. Maybe wrong. this is really stupid that we're doing this." And <laughs> this then they just dumb. flipped it, and everyone's happy. And Toronto's we're... like a fucking heroin paradise now. Doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Listen, we can't change the past, but we were wrong. Give the give the needles out. You know, <laughs> one of them, yeah, gives out the needles and has safe spaces for. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the right way to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot more that needs to go along with that than just oh, give yeah, it no. away. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a start. <laughs> it is a it's a step in the right direction. Yes. There are many more steps to take. Regardless, they did everything they could to keep the story out of the media of Jimmy getting arrested as they knew that it would look real bad for the band. They quickly paid Jimmy's $10,000 bail so that they could get to the show to make nothing seem suspicious. And apparently, when Jimmy was filling out the paperwork, he was nervous that they were going to miss the show. But the detective told him right there that he had nothing to worry about as his kids had bought tickets for his show. And he said they would kill him if they didn't get Jimmy out in time. Yeah, but let's just go ahead and make sure that bail check clears their first day. Go ahead and sign there, son. <laughs> so is this a Royal Canadian mounted policeman or was this a normal cop? Uh, I think this was just a normal cop. It was a, yeah, it was just a detective oh. in the, in the city. Just trying to uh, imagine the scenario and I wanted to see a Mountie. I just imagined, yeah, when Jimmy's like leaving, the detective's like, hey, Jimmy. You mind if I get an autograph for the kids? <laughs> hey, break a leg. <laughs> you really have fun out there, okay? We do love your music. <laughs> thanks for thanks for visiting. Thanks for visiting Toronto. Uh, I am experienced. <laughs> yeah, I get oh it, buddy. God. The Mounties are involved. I don't know if this was just a detective. I think we'll once there, he got yeah. to the police station ah. and filling out all the paperwork, yeah, that's when that's when the local police came in. The handoff. Okay. Yep, you got gotcha. it. Yeah, we'll get to the we'll get to the mounted police in just a minute. They're coming. <laughs> this whole thing seems extremely strange as Jimmy, spacey as he was, swore that he checked his suitcase before closing it up. And even more so, Jimmy just didn't like heroin. Mm. He had tried it a few times, but it made him violently ill, so he stopped using it. So the question is, how did it get in there? Yeah, that's something we briefly mentioned, but probably not enough. Jimmy was super outspoken about how much he disliked heroin. It was yeah. very, very clear on that. The hash was his, though. Everybody loves hash. That's to be expected. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've it's never had stuff. hash, but I have heard good reviews, so no, I oh, also buddy. haven't. <laughs> Next time you come to Cedar Falls, I'll take you to my favorite little hash place, and we are just going to have a great little breakfast with a little mm, hash. They put corned beef some... right in it? 
Oh, of course. Can I boof it? Get some cheese on top. You can boof it if you want. (laughs) Go for it, buddy. It's up to you. Can't wait. (laughs) You're welcome to boof it if you you so choose. You are. I I could tell. I could tell first thing I said, Ethan, that little third grader Ethan that I know, he's a hash boofer. (laughs) You know? See it in the eyes. You aren't wrong. (laughs) Oh, so with all of this, there are a couple stories that range from very mundane to shit that is so conspiratorial that even Alex Jones would say, take it easy. I, I, I doubt that, but. <laughs> <laughs> so the most mundane option is that Jimmy just didn't check his suitcase. He just yeah, did not yeah. check it. He forgot he had the drugs in there and he hurriedly shut his suitcase because he was running late. And that was it. Could be maybe. Or was it the Globalists? <laughs> oh, God, it's the fucking Zionist. <laughs> Zionist. The next more, uh, more plausible option is that Jimmy told someone that he had a headache. So the person handed him a vial for him to use to forget about the headache. And instead of using it, he threw it in his bag, leading back to the mundane option. Yeah, alternately, he was having stomach issues and someone told him it was bromo seltzer, which was at, actually powdered at the time. That's fun. That's so, bromo yeah. seltzer. Yeah. My dad gave me some, some gave me some seltzer when I had a really bad hangover and he's like, all right, two things are going to happen. You're either going to feel a lot better or you're going to throw this all up. Drank the cup, immediately ran out the deck and projectile vomited the whole <laughs> cup of vomit. And it was still foaming, so it was like uh, I had horrible rabies. It's like, a, oh, it's like a Mentos and Coke in your <laughs> stomach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it didn't work. I still had a hangover after it. Terrible. Isn't that great? I had to get a B12 shot to feel better. Not fun. Incredible. Your dad prefaced with one of two things. <laughs> oh, he let me know. I, drank, I took a sip of it, and he's like, you got to finish it. And I was like, okay. Took the sip. You're going to feel better, or you're going to die. Yep. Uh, I was right near the ladder. So, so the next option gets a bit juicier, which says that a traveling male groupie who was hanging out with the group snuck the drugs into Jimmy's suitcase while they were traveling. Mike Jeffrey's assistant, Trixie Sullivan, gave the account that they had all checked their suitcases again in L.A. before the final flight to Toronto, and Jimmy knew that his was clean. So the drugs would have to be put into his suitcase on the flight, which points to this groupie, who had apparently made an unsuccessful sexual advance on Jimmy and may have been upset when he was shut down. It's definitely juicy, but I have a hard time taking Trixie's word on anything. Yeah, Trixie also says that Mike is a wonderful man and never did yeah. anything wrong. So <laughs> Trixie says a lot the of British wild intelligence shit. guy, huh? Yeah, so there it is. And now we'll get to the most fun option, which of course involves Mike Jeffrey. Mm. The the British intelligence guy who like we've we've talked about pretty thoroughly. He's, exactly. Yeah. 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 He, you know, what are you trying to say? Mike, you know, maybe they have tricks up their sleeves. Maybe this is just <laughs> a fun joke. He's got a couple tricks. One he's got two. a couple tricks hidden between those nasty ass graveyard after an earthquake teeth of his. Yeah, say the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> what a picture you painted. <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> Mike orchestrated the entire thing that's the conspiracy and he did it to put jimmy back in his place since he was shaking up the band so much and his shows weren't going as well as they could be and he was making it harder to promote him when papers were coming out with less than stellar reviews of those shows 
fun. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> On top of that, Jimmy was only 26 at the time, and Mike was the closest thing to a father figure he had on the day-to-day. And Mike was also his manager. So a huge legal battle that could last for months or even years would make Jimmy rely on Mike for the foreseeable future. That is so fun. Yeah, you know, a stern white British stepfather is always a good Ugh. father figure. Go. Strong figure. I could just imagine the fights and it's <laughs> getting Not me good. going. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Tony's right back at right yeah, back Bring me back. <laughs> Take me back. A little flush there. <laughs> there was no way that Jimmy could leave when Mike was helping him so much through all this. You know, exactly like an how an abusive relationship works. That's not what it was. No, of course not. (laughs) Truthfully, though, the biggest piece of evidence to this being the case, besides the fact that it's Mike Jeffrey. Yeah, we'll say second biggest piece of evidence. Bingo. Was that the way the search and arrest was done was so much more public than anything had been done like this in the past. Yeah. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police were at the airport when the plane landed, waiting to search Jimmy, which was extremely uncommon. You know, I bet in the British intelligence world, they consider this a funny prank. Oh, they're, yeah, they're, it's all gaff. It's all big gaff to them. <laughs> it's a knee <neat> slapper. <laughs> what can we catch them with? Yeah. Usually, let them go. Usually, this was all handed quietly in a quiet room off to the side where no one could see, but mostly everything was handled right out in the airport. Not only the fact that it was done right at the terminal in front of everyone, but like just the fact that it was the Mounties waiting for him to conduct the search was highly suspicious because that's normally done by customs and they wouldn't be there at that point. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to get a horse through security? (laughs) (laughs) They don't get get off them until they're putting you in the cuffs. They're not allowed to get off them, I don't think. Do you know that horses like... They don't even have control of their bowels, so there's horse shit everywhere. Well, they have to take off the horseshoes to get it through the metal oh, detectors. Yeah. What a pain. <laughs> yeah, well, those, are, those are nailed pain. in. Those are, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's tough. That's why it took so long to do, and it was so unorthodox. <laughs> it's so unorthodox. <laughs> so different. Insane. So, take that so, piece of evidence. <laughs> so, all of this points to the theory that a tip was called in beforehand, and someone wanted it to be seen. So it could have been Mike Jeffrey, who knows? But at the same time, Jimmy could have been charged with much more than possession as he had technically smuggled drugs across international borders. And even with what he was charged with, his maximum prison sentence, if he was found guilty on both charges, was 20 years. And a musician in prison was not a lucrative investment. Yeah, Musicians get special treatment in prison sometimes, but I don't think one's actually turned a profit from prison since I don't know when. Train it coming. Suddenly I'm in Folsom. Who knew? Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm so Folsom, I could cry. Yeah, if he J- made a profit. If Mike purposely tried to put Jimmy in prison, that would be like that would be the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. It would be such a stupid move. Mm. But again, it's Mike Jeffrey. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what could it? it yeah. Who knows what happened? I don't know. <laughs> it's it, honestly, it's probably just the mad incel dude trying to get revenge. Honestly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get the coffee I shot through my nose this morning while I read that off my screen. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not afraid to drag this idiot through the mud. 
trying to, trying to pull some Jimmy <laughs> pipe. So. I get it. <laughs> Ooh, I, I wouldn't. The worst thing is, is that Jimmy was totally ready to bang Noel like two years ago. And yeah, now he's Noel. shutting this guy down. Yep. Well, he probably didn't have the cake he wanted. God, dude. Probably the fucking rhythm guitarist and fat mattress. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You are on the warpath. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. It's a bad like name. It, it is a bad name. <laughs> I kind of like it. Stupid. <laughs> Hold on. I got one. I got I'm working hard. We're running out of words. Goopy sectional or something. Gluttonous. <laughs> Oh my god. Bad. Just bad. Just bad. Just bad. Just bad. Just bad. Just bad. I think we may have peaked. I think we may have peaked. That might be it. It's a little emo. (laughs) (laughs) But now, Jimmy had a real court to deal with and the real possibility that he would be heavily fined, he would face jail time, or both. Yeah, I can't imagine Canadian prison is any better than American prison. Probably all the same stuff. It probably is better. I'm going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> yeah, he's probably right. A little, a little better like, at least. A little, little, little less of the assault of the sexual no. type. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the prisons are bad in general, yeah. even without the sexual yeah. assault. Yeah. yeah. So, the trial yeah. was set for the end of the year and Jimmy was allowed to continue touring and living free until then. Just playing shows with the fear of jail the whole time. I can't imagine that being very enjoyable. Yeah, they did say yeah. the night that he played in Toronto, he was in surprisingly good spirits. That's good. That's they said. No. The band played through Seattle again. See how it goes. Though this time, I don't believe that he saw his family. So, I, I think they came to the show, but he was really nervous about seeing them in general, as he always was, and the obviously drug charges were hanging. Mm-hmm. So, they made specific instructions for no one to give his family any kind of actual itinerary so that... Like he would just see them backstage and then it, he said he had to go and kept it super brief. Yeah. And there is a point that I'll make in a moment that points to you being correct. But I don't think that it was as big as the first time. That yeah. He came yeah. Out, for sure. No big yeah. terminal. Yeah. Me. Party. Yeah, exactly. Night. Yeah. He was. I think he was done with exciting things happening in terminals for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder why. In and out. <laughs> Airport is in and out. <laughs> so the band got to spend some time in Hawaii as well, playing there for three days with Fat Mattress even getting to come along, surprisingly at Jimmy's insistence after Mike told them that they couldn't come as they would be too expensive. Well, they were simultaneously working on a movie called Rainbow Bridge, and mm. it's one of the best quality Hendrix performances you can find on YouTube for, is from this. Mm-hmm. It's like fully remastered quality in terms of the set super weird. So like just the remastering of it is cool. Yeah. It would be a cool set to be at, but it's just a crowd of 200 people who are all sitting like cross-legged in a big open field, which is sick, super sick for them, but it's not exciting to watch 200 people just <laughs> quietly tripping balls in front of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> you just have to build that empathy, man, while you're watching. You just have to think, what if I was tripping balls and watching Jimi Hendrix? Oh, yeah. That would be awesome, but yeah, I'm not. And so I'm just watching other people. Yeah, you gotta put yourself there. You gotta trip balls. You gotta uh, open up that third eye. You gotta expand your mind, big guy. God. Come on. I also read that they uh, they seated everybody according to their astrological signs. So that's... God! No, don't like that. I don't like that. That's dumb. That's too far. That Give me a break. If me... you think I made that up, I didn't. I don't think you did is the problem. 
And there are stories that say Jimmy wanted to bring his stepsister Janie to Hawaii with him so that she could see it, leaning, as I said, some thought into the fact that maybe he did see his family in Seattle. And Ethan, before you uh, dirty all of this up, <laughs> I just want to point out that Janie was either eight or nine at this time. So keep that in mind yeah. with whatever comment you are about to make. Tony, I thought we established when we started this podcast, the show, that we were a family show. So I don't know what kind of sicko you think I am. <laughs> Uh, you know what I say, incest is not the best. I, you do say that. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never I always say anything say more. <laughs> Every time. It's like your catchphrase. We're going to put that yeah, on your headstone. Put it on the website. <laughs> what do you want on your tombstone? Incest is not the best, incest please. Incest is not the best. <laughs> All right. That was, in real talk, that would be the funniest fucking thing to put on someone's headstone. It would be oh, so yeah. funny. Ethan... Ethan Michael, William, Allen, Boney. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> 1992 <laughs> to 2022. You're dying next year. I was going to make the same joke. <laughs> You're dying next year. Incest is not the best. And that's it. That's your whole head. You bring a lot of joy to a lot it's of people. It's pretty dope. It's very funny. That would, be, that would be the most suspicious headstone in the history of all headstones. Should, should make a fake headstone for the, the Instagram and put it up like that. It could be fun. Ooh, so I like many it. Yucks. <laughs> you pull the pull the uh, pull the uh, My Chemical Romance move. Yeah. Isn't that, weren't they the no no not the My Chemical uh, the the typo negative where they put on their website that they said that that Peter Steele had had moved on. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. that fun? For like a year. <laughs> Super fun. Anyway, all right, here we go. Back to it. <laughs> After Hawaii, Jimmy spent some time at Wally Hyder's in Hollywood working on a planned live album that never came to fruition. And after one more show and some interviews, on June 29th, the tour was finally coming to an end. Though it was just over two months long, it was an eventful tour and an exhausting one. This timeline's a bit muddy, but I think the last show of the tour was in Hawaii as well, because Jimmy was getting run ragged by Mike and track records, squeezing every second of life he had that he faked a serious injury so that he could stay there okay. and decompress for about three weeks. Like he had to be incapacitated for Mike to give him a minute to breathe. <laughs> Did like just fake like he had like a broken back? Yeah, he, yeah, basically he cut him, cut his leg on the beach and uh, they bandaged it and uh, God, what was her name? Someone who was there helping him. She said they put like three times the amount of bandage on it. And, like, <laughs> made it look way made worse. It look really bad. <laughs> make it look much worse. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, according to Hendrix.guy-dot-pages-per-sparrow-dot-slash-orange-dot-fr, which is the most definitive timeline. And I think that they get the timeline from from Electric Gypsy, the book that I'm reading. Okay. Um, it has three shows on May 30th, May 31st, and June 1st. And then on June 8th is when he goes into Wally Hyders. So oh. that's just what I've got. And he's there for three days. And then he's got a couple interviews. And then the last show that he does or that the Jimi Hendrix experience does is on June 20th. And it's actually like a uh, like a festival. So it's hmm. the Newport. 69. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. And that's, yeah, that's on June 20th. Yeah, for no, it's a it's 620. A 620, yeah. I was so close. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> 420, 69, baby. <laughs> yeah, all right, fine. We'll give yeah, you a pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we played that show on June 20th, and then he played one more show on June 29th. So that's the last show of the tour. Hmm. On June 29th, they played the Denver Pop Festival, which was a shit show 
in itself, and it actually sounded very much like the Astro World Festival that took place just a week ago with all of the mismanagement and chaos. Though Travis Scott was not there, so no one died. <laughs> put, putting it all on him. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. 100%. <laughs> yeah, fuck Travis Scott. That's all No one died, but the, it was oversold to all hell, and the crowd was very energetic we'll say so during yeah. their set people were like actively getting tear gassed in the crowd and it was making its way to the stage <laughs> that's pretty fun <laughs> yeah. is there a satanic ritual yeah do you ever think about that of course mm, nice was Jimi assumed. hendrix actively telling people not to let the ambulance through yeah huh? yeah <laughs> did, did, did that happen mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Did, he, did he stand <laughs> over the crowd and watch people die oh, yeah God. did all that happen did that happen <gasps> if you have it if somehow you are listening to this podcast but have not looked into any of the astral world stuff, it's a very it's sad bad. situation. It's so bad. Don't look into the stuff about it being a portal to hell. That's yeah, that, stupid. That, that, that's bullshit. That's dumb. But that's that's the monster energy ex- drink. That's just that, trying that, to that's make the Alex Jones spin. Bingo. Yeah. yeah, it's just a horribly sad situation. Yeah. yeah, horribly tragic mismanagement. And I hope that it takes down Travis Scott. And I hope that all the families who lost the loved ones around them get all the all the retribution they deserve because they deserve and all god of it. i hope the kardashians go down with god, sing it buddy sing it. that's the best thing Hell i heard of a mcdonald's meal though <laughs> I, I, I don't think i sent you oh delicious that sprite that goes with yeah. it it's a cheeseburger with barbecue sauce on it give me a break <laughs> who thought of it <laughs> travis scott i did see oh, an article yeah. i don't know if i sent it to you guys but i saw an article the night that it happened and it was like astro world whatever and then the next, at the bottom of it, it was like, Kylie Jenner not hurt an Astro World tragedy. It's like, I don't give a <laughs> fuck God. about that. Thank God. <laughs> I was like, would've why would nice she be? she did. Why would she be? You think she was in the front three rows? Like, yeah, why she's do not you... a GA. She's not a general admission. <laughs> God. <sighs> she actually was posting on her story from backstage. So. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And she put out a thing that's like, oh, our oh my gosh, out. look at the ambulance. God, shut the fuck I up. I hate it. Mm. <laughs> All the... We're living in the wrong timeline. We're nice and off track here. Mm-hmm. Back to the Denver Pop Festival. Perfect. As Voodoo Child, Slight Return came to a close, Jimmy went to the mic and told the 30,000 plus people in attendance, quote, this is the last gig we'll ever play together. <laughs> and the next day, Noel Redding formally and publicly quit the band. Now, you might think with a riot already brewing beforehand that an announcement like this could potentially send the crowd into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly... That's exactly what happened. The crowd rushed the stage and Jerry had to back up a huge U-Haul so that the band could slip inside and seal the doors. Yeah. But there was so many people already swarming that they could like barely get through the crowd. And at one point, the band was actually concerned they weren't going to make it out alive because so many people were climbing on top of the truck that they were watching the roof support snap. And Noel was like, if we make it out of this, I'm on a plane home and I'm never coming back. <laughs> God, I- with all that action, you'd think that Drake just made an appearance. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Back to the Astro <laughs> World. Back to the Astro World. <laughs> the crowd surges, people die. Oh, so sad. Nine people. God, that's insane. That actually is nuts. Mm-hmm. So, Noel, nor anyone else, knew that this announcement was coming, and Jimmy had talked about it with no one, because as Austin said, he hated confrontation. God, I bet that made for an awkward U-Haul ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. quiet one. That oh, yeah. be a quiet one. Yeah. He figured that the easiest way to tell his bandmates was to tell 
everyone at the same time in a public setting so no one could fight. Yeah. I, guess, I guess Noel was like keeping it kind of light though because everyone was freaking out and one of the guys, uh, I, I don't think he was an important person, but he like put his hand on Noel's leg like just as a, out of a response, like a shock and he was like, Hey, that's my leg, mate. I don't know you that well. <laughs> <laughs> that's just fun. That's just funny. That's just funny. <laughs> yeah, what he told the audience, he also told his bandmates, Mike, Jerry, and mm. anyone else that was on the experience's payroll. And with Noel's departure, the Jimi Hendrix experience, the highest paid rock band at the time, was done. Noel headed back to London to formally announce it, and Jimmy, who wanted to get away for a while, got a place near Shokan, New York. Now look up Shokan, New York, then look up idyllic in the dictionary and you're going to cool. see the same picture. God, sounds so quaint. It's beautiful. I've not looked up a picture. I it looked up like... idyllic. It does look nice. Wait a second. The letters, the way they're aged is very pleasing. <laughs> it, it's a, a, idyllic is a good picture when you look it up on images, turns out. God damn it. Nice. I heard it's the same picture. Gotcha. Oh my yeah. god. You, just, you, gets, you don't have to look both up. Yeah. The same. You, you, you don't. You like, <laughs> oh god. So Jimmy only rented the place, but even so, it was a huge eight bedroom mansion with plenty of room for him to spread out and enjoy the quiet while having space to allow anyone over who wanted to jam with him. And that first included Billy and Buddy Miles, who I mentioned earlier. Buddy was a drummer who had worked with Jimmy a bit and had Billy playing with him since he arrived in New York. Buddy actually had his own band called the <laughs> Buddy Miles Express, and he not only played drums, he did lead vocals as well, which I think Jimmy liked because he still hate, hated his voice even at this point. Yeah, That's crazy because thousands of records sold but still not confident in his voice uh, at all. Mm -hmm. Millions of records yeah, sold. Millions yeah. of records sold. <laughs> still yes. not confident. It's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> like upwards of like thousands it's of just records. Like worldwide <laughs> renowned. Everyone knows him and still he's like ah, not this guy it. can sing better than me. Yep. I get it. Tens of records. <laughs> so as soon as he was allowed Jimmy asked Billy if he knew where Larry Lee was, and Larry, if you'll remember, was another past member of the King Casuals. He had just returned from Vietnam, and after a quick phone call from Billy and Jimmy, Larry agreed to come to New York and play with him. Larry said that he got the call just as he was about to go register at the unemployment office. What a change in circumstance. Yeah, that is fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're getting the band back together, so to speak. The band's back together. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy also snagged Jerry Yellez, a conga player from the area who Jimmy had seen and enjoyed. Jimmy wanted a big change from what he was doing with the experience. So he figured the addition of a conga player would help in that respect. Just Amanda slap some skins, man. Mm. <laughs> Just slapping the skins. <laughs> and the last person that he got was Juma Sultan. By Jimmy's own estimate, the most talented musician that he played with. He could play the piano, the sousaphone, the barry saxophone, congas and percussion, and he could sing as well. Just knowing how well this doesn't go is so shocking considering the talent he's bringing in. Yeah, it's pretty short-lived. Yeah. And then Mitch would join in from time to time as well, but his presence was hit or miss, oftentimes not showing up for rehearsals or even gigs when they got them. This was the skeleton of what the electric church was going to be in Jimmy's head. 
It was a gathering of musicians who didn't necessarily know each other or mesh very well, but could play together to create incredible art. To create incredible art if they were able to mesh it all. God, they <laughs> they hold it together for four shows. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, four shows. <laughs> he outfitted the house in Shokan to have plenty of equipment and then allowed them to jam as they pleased. And Jimmy decided that he was going to get away for a little bit. So shortly after inviting everyone to the house, he fucked off to Morocco for a vacation See ya. with the permission of the Canadian government, of course. This is the only actual vacation he's gotten in three straight years that he didn't have to fake an injury for. And yeah. <laughs> you would think Mike would be a little bit happy to see his prize cash cow getting a chance to decompress. You would think. <laughs> Morocco's a interesting place to pick for vacation because that's like northwestern Africa, like across the straightest, like on the Mediterranean. I think oh, it I was like beautiful. I bet it's idyllic. Maybe. I, I was, don't know. <laughs> it might be idyllic. Yeah. I thought that was a place. <laughs> I think it was pretty spur of the moment though because he had uh, like a couple friends that were going because one of them had uh, an aunt or family that lived there. Yeah. And he was like talking to them and they were like, we're going to Morocco. You should come with us. And he, and he like, said, okay. okay. And then he like worked it out with the Canadian government. That's oh, I, that's kind of tight though. <laughs> I can a hundred percent believe that it was it was uh, spur of the moment. It was spur of the yeah. moment because yeah. <laughs> again, he left just a bunch of band members at his place <laughs> and just yeah. said, "You guys figure it out. <laughs> I'll be back in a little bit. I'll be back. There's guys, food I in the fridge. <laughs> just Kinda. whatever you need." There's a chef in the house. The, the house came with a personal chef, so yeah, they were just like he was just like, "Have fun. You guys figure it out." And I'll be back. Can you imagine being in a house with a chef just on staff? I can't. Yeah, I've got a wife. No! Oh, Jesus. Brittany, I hope you're listening. <laughs> How do you turn a dishwasher into a snowblower? You hand her a shovel, am I right? <laughs> I, I, I find these jokes distasteful. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I really did try. Oh my god! Oh my god. Please, I'm gonna take a shower. Oh, Cut it. Cut it. <laughs> Keep it. Keep it. <laughs> I'm working on my morning show. <laughs> wolf, Trying wolf. to get on radio. <laughs> so when Jimmy came back from his vacation on August 6th, rehearsals for the band began for real and under their new name as well, Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's the most 1960s name there is. <laughs> yes. There, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a perfectly fine 1960s it's name. It's a very yes. flowerhead band name. Unlike Fat Mattress, which um, is Much stupid. better than Fat Mattress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I left that. <laughs> I just want to leave that window open so a comment happens. Yep. Yeah, please. Ethan got it. <laughs> and of course, with the rock and roll came the drugs and the sex. Women and drugs of all sorts were not in short supply at any point in the house. It was a party house for musicians, and while all of that was distracting, it didn't get in their way of making music and learning to understand each other's playing styles. I mean, I think it got in the way. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's, it did its part. Just a little bit. It helped. It helped where it needed to. It brought it where it needed to yeah, be. Yeah. But the group members had to learn to play together quickly as they had a pretty big show coming up. <laughs> They were slated to play the festival in nearby Woodstock on August 17th. Do not take the brown acid. 
<laughs> is, that a, is that a reference? I don't. Yeah. Am I missing it? But I think it wasn't there a thing with the Bad Batch acid at the at first Woodstock. No, oh, was, was there? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think that was. You could be right, <laughs> though. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that would. If there was any Woodstock that was going to have a batch of bad acid, it would be the first, first one. one. Yeah. By the, yes. Because by Woodstock 1994 or whatever it was, 1999, it was all meth. Yeah. They were just all doing meth, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was no, no much more 90s. Don't, cross, don't trust crystalline substances at that mm. point. Yes. 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 So, Gypsy Sun and Rainbows only had practiced a few times before the upcoming gig and they'd only played one show together in public and as the date got closer everyone was realizing just how big of a festival this was really going to be i mean it's just woodstock 1969 it's not really a big deal yeah no well hindsight <laughs> hindsight says clear <laughs> but at the time i mean they were you know there were festivals popping up all over the place yeah. they the last show that the experience played was a festival and it's just like man who gives a fuck yeah like, could little did they know <laughs> it's a perfectly adequate festival yeah so they thought this one was gonna be much much the same as all the other mm. ones and I promise you that we will do a dedicated episode or even series on Woodstock in the future so I won't go too in depth here but the whole festival was brought up by Michael Lang, who was the same guy who brought up the Miami Pop Festival that the experience had played at the year prior. Somehow this dude's net worth is only $10 million, and I would think it would be considerably more, but you'll also come to find how little money this actually made. <laughs> well, if you remember, time. the Miami Pop Festival lost $60,000, <laughs> and yeah, this one this one makes very little money as well for a specific reason. <laughs> I looked at it. Took 10 years yeah. for Woodstock to become And a wait. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> the festival was going to take place at a park in Woodstock, but when the city said no, a dairy farmer named Max Yagser, I think that's the way you pronounce Sounds it. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Max Yagser allowed them to use his land outside of the town of Bethel for the event. That's just a simple man who loves squeezing udders. I get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, as we correct, do. my guy. <laughs> as we do. Uh, it was scheduled to take place from August 15th through the 17th. I don't know why we're doing the gestures. Just trying to read a script here, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're not stopping you. Yeah, yeah we didn't stop you. Uh, just fucking give me one of these, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing they'll have no clue what happened ever. Yeah, no ref, no context. You'll never get it. Not walking you through it. <laughs> so, Woodstock was scheduled to take place from August 15th through the 17th, and it is expected to bring in about 50,000 people. They were saying no more than 50,000 people. But this was a bit of an understatement <laughs> or an underestimate as 60 thousand people had bought tickets before the organizers decided that it was too complicated and they decided to make it free for everyone and it was estimated that in all the crowd peaked at about four hundred thousand people god and that has to blow so hard for the people that did pay because obviously at this time there was not a way to pay in advance so the people who showed up early enough to get a ticket were the assholes in the end because the fencing around the yeah. site was so shitty that people just started walking in and at some point they just had to declare it a free festival <laughs> Yeah, just come on in, man. It's fucking nuts. These people insane. paid, but you don't fucking have to. Nah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, man. Just walk in. 
uh-huh. it's cool. We just can't do anything about it. It's just like there is a there is an army here that's the, literally bigger than a lot of countries' armies. Yeah. We are we are overwhelmed. There's here. a lot of people, man. What do we Dude, do? The whole story of Woodstock is so insane. They like talked about bringing in the National Guard at one point because there were so many people. Obviously, we know now. The whole festival was completely peaceful. It yeah. went off without a hitch. It was an incredible time. Yeah. But like people were like, oh, fuck, this could be a nightmare. <laughs> this this is could be terrible. Someone yeah, turns could... these people the wrong way and suddenly we have a really bad situation. We get a bad they batch could... of acid. Yeah. They could coup the government. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, have January 6th in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> back again. So, 30,000 people camped out before the festival even began, and all the roads around the area were completely jammed from the traffic and abandoned cars, with people just getting out of their car as it was sitting on the road when they were near the venue to walk the rest of the way. It's an incredible story, and Woodstock is said to be the most pivotal moment in the hippie movement. And Jimmy was a huge staple in that. This event effectively shut down a huge part of New York in a way that's Mm -hmm. hard to grasp without seeing it. But like major highways were completely closed for days because traffic was so congested and people were like sitting in their cars at standstills for hours. So they just abandoned their cars and walked. So like thousands of unmanned cars are just on the highways. That's (laughs) just quintessential. That's just quintessential 60s, baby. That's just like the, that's the, that's 60s. That's the 60s. So badass. Oh, well, we got to get there and we can't, we can't from here, so. Tens of thousands of VW vans <laughs> sitting on the highway. Vans, abandoned. Beatles, you know. All the ones that them. are still there just roll, the smoke's rolling out the windows right. and they're like, we just got to get to the festival. So they just <laughs> get out and walk. We're moving God. so slow, man. <laughs> Dude, you haven't moved for three hours. That's so slow. <laughs> They're just lucky that they all had what was essentially motorhomes in their vans because it would have been oh, tricky they were if they were. Yeah, they were uh, good to go. They're comfortable. <laughs> so Jimmy was meant to go on at midnight on Monday the 18th, meaning to close out the festival at 2 a.m. That's so late. Mm. Oh, it's mm. yeah, so weird. They would go to 2 a.m. every night. But that wasn't even the worst of it. It's not. (laughs) But due to a bunch of things, the schedule on Sunday was pushed back substantially and bands played the entire night. And Gypsy Sun and Rainbows, consisting here of Jimmy and Larry Lee on guitar, bass with Billy on bass, Juma and Jerry on percussion, and Mitch on drums. And they finally got on stage at nine in the morning on Monday, August 18th. God, and if you got confused earlier with all the mentions of different drummers, they just brought Mitch back because the whole thing was such a mess already. And the musicians were all great in their own respects. But when it came to working as a group, it wasn't working. And Mitch said yeah. that he, he said he got there 10 days before the festival. They practice every single day. And that's the only group he's ever played with that got worse over that amount of time. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. I imagine that they may have given Jerry and Juma 
the 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 clown treatment where they just like oh maybe we don't mic him maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe they're just up there maybe you know? we just let him be up there just let him rip man something to think about <laughs> he's up there for the looks yep. I don't know but regardless they played for a much smaller crowd of only thirty thousand people as people had either left or fallen asleep from being up all night, just yeah. as the band had been. When they got up on stage, they were extremely tired. <laughs> but even so, 9 a.m. <laughs> they played a two-hour set, and this set is legendary. It was high energy, as Jimmy was known for, but in a new, unique way. Jimmy was wearing his loosely fitted shirt and headband, playing a non-stop melody on his famous white strap. This was the first time that Jimmy had a second guitarist in his band, and the first time that he shared the stage with other black musicians, with both Billy and Juma being black. By far, the most famous bit of this event was the Star Spangled Banner, played by Jimmy in the morning light. God, talk about completely changing the entire meaning of a song. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Do a yeah, before we get into it, it should be noted that this was not an impromptu performance by Jimmy, with him actually playing it as far back as August 1968 and sporadically since then. It is just the most notable version of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was played just at the right time with the right people in the right place. And just the fact that this was planned does not lessen its impact here. Nope. I just want to point that out. Yeah. This was the biggest gathering of the counterculture movement in a long time. And just as the public opinion of the ongoing Vietnam was beginning to crumble. And good God, did it take them long enough. <laughs> well, now the news was starting to really show yeah. like the Vietnam War is really brutal and we are not doing well. It there. is not going good. We God, lost. You, can, you can thank Walter Cronkite for that. Thank you, Walter. <laughs> mm. So... It's playing of the so Love Jimmy's you, Walt. <laughs> oh he's the father of father of news broadcasting. <laughs> so Jimmy's playing of the anthem, intermixed with the sound of helicopter blades and machine gun fire and screams, all coming from Jimmy's guitar, spoke differently to the people here and became the anthem for not just the counterculture movement but as a metaphor for the 60s as a whole. Look up the footage for Woodstock. This, it's so goddamn ominous and foreboding, and mm -hmm. it pissed a lot of certain types of people off, mm -hmm. but it feels like a much more fitting rendition for America, plus all the shit that he can mimic just using feedback is badass as all hell. Yeah, no, his <laughs> playing of the guitar is incredible. It's wild. With what he can come up with. But yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty damning rendition of this song. Yeah. Yes. That's how we'll put it. There was extreme national pride in the country, and this mixed it with all its shortcomings of the war as well as the civil rights movement, and it was all encapsulated here. And this manipulation of our national anthem spoke of how misguided the country was and the hope of its eventual correction. It was a brilliant performance and was the perfect end to a four-day festival of peace, love, and harmony. And as happy as the world was with Jimmy's performance, his inner world was less so. Mike wasn't happy with the lineup he had, calling them freeloaders who were hindering Jimmy's career. And they weren't even charging him 40% off the top to do it. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Mike's a businessman. Mike is a businessman. Yep. Oh, He's money. just offended that they weren't getting money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they only, I think they got paid $18,000 for this performance, which is quite a bit in the Fan. grand scheme of things. 
But like there were times where they would get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars per performance when they were touring. So this was a fraction of that. No, I just meant he was mad. There was people hanging out that weren't getting paid. Oh, sure. I mean, technically, that would be probably be good because, yeah, they weren't getting money. I they mean, just weren't as smart as him. So Bingo. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> He's offended. <laughs> Bingo. So, Jimmy actually auditioned more musicians on a couple occasions and took people into the studio, both at the record plant as well as the hit factory in New York. They played a couple more shows, but tensions in the band were already rising, mainly due to drugs and paranoia as well as Jimmy's own understanding of the world around him as he was beginning to really see the shadiness of Mike. Tensions were really high at this point. All the new members that were just coming into this world said that in the days leading up to the festival, it was like the room would drop 10 degrees anytime Mike walked in. Oh, yeah. I can 100% believe that. Yeah. He's a cold man. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy at one point saw a receipt for a show that they were paid $10,000 for, as Mike told Jimmy. But in reality, they were actually paid $50,000 for the show, meaning Mike just straight up lied to Jimmy and pocketed 80% of the profits. Yeah, it's smart. Really smart. He's a businessman. <laughs> Make fake receipts, man. Oh, not good. Yeah. Uh, Who yeah. would know? <laughs> and Mike was now hard at work building the studio for Jimmy but then told Jimmy that he was going to have to put in $250,000 of his own money before it could be started. Fuck. Meaning Mike was building a studio to save Mike money, but was using Jimmy's money to do it. Jesus Come on, Jimmy, just a little startup cash, buddy. <laughs> Daddy isn't liquid right now, baby. <laughs> a little tight. A little tight in the pockets, buddy. I gotta move some stuff around. <laughs> I can get you next Tuesday. Good I can God. get you back next Tuesday. It's no big deal. Uh, just gotta get liquid. <laughs> so the original plan for this was to have a venue to play in in the front and then have a studio that would be tucked in an area behind it. It was going to be state-of-the-art, and they enlisted the help of Eddie Kramer to help design it. I'm sure nothing but the best since it's Eddie, not the pedophile Kramer, doing this project. <laughs> Thank you. Very specific. Eddie NTP. I love the Eddie NTP Kramer, baby. I love the abbreviation. Yeah, Ethan has written Eddie NTP. NTP yeah, you got to remember, he's not the pedophile one. I do, I do now. See? Yep. <laughs> I'm not forgetting it anymore. Eddie NTP Kramer. Just great. It's not the one from uh, Dragon Con, duh. Yeah, no, we got it because of the NTP. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would have known otherwise. You would have been confused. I think it should be Eddie Kramer, comma, NTP. Like, like if you're a doctor or a yeah, nurse, you like, know. <laughs> P, oh, PhD, not, not like a quotation. NTP. Yeah. Like, my name is Anton Ryder, MD. Yeah. He's Eddie Kramer, NTP. N NTP. It's not an AKA. NTP. It's just a title. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good to announce it up front. Yeah. Hey, what's yeah. up? I'm Eddie Kramer. I'm not a pedophile. I do. Sometimes you gotta let people know. Certified. Incest is not best. It's not the best. Not best. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the studio actually was going to be state-of-the-art. Yes. Over time, though, it was decided that the studio was more important than the venue and it was going to require more space. So, the venue was scrapped and the studio was going to take up the entire space. And that whole retooling of the plan was kind of Eddie's idea because he 
knew how much the album Electric Ladyland ended up costing them. And he was like, uh, hey, honestly, I think building a studio is going to be way more lucrative in the yeah. long run. Well, uh, yeah, and you can charge way more. Well, you can charge to have bands play in the studio. You can't charge. You can, Obviously, you can. But like you can't really charge to have bands play in a venue, especially when it's like a really popular venue like this. You're going to get bigger bands who you have to pay. So your profit margins are going to be way slimmer than if you have a studio that's just going to be like, I'm yeah. just making money hand over foot. You can make here. way more money off of studio time. That's for sure. Only profit. Yeah. That's uh, it's, Mike's a businessman. <laughs> I don't know if he got that. He's a businessman. Business That's all there is to it. Money, Mike. <laughs> so Jimmy was excited by this idea at first because having his own studio that he could use whenever he wanted sounded like a no-brainer. But actually, having to invest in the equipment and be responsible for it was scaring Jimmy quite a bit. He liked having the space and time in the record plant to mess around. He was familiar with it. But he had no real connection or obligation to it. Yeah, surface level, the idea is super cool. But in reality, underneath all that, it's just adding a corporate aspect to the one thing you love the most that you don't want any kind of that thing attached to. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that this is a pretty common misconception because I think a lot of people say like, Electric Lady, it's Jimi Hendrix studio. And it's like this incredible, th like Jimi Hendrix, he created a studio because he was such a good musician that he really wanted didn't, it. But in reality, it's like- My Chemical- romance go there someone went there maybe we i can't remember uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say i don't know because i don't remember how about that yeah i also we definitely talked yeah, about yeah. someone who did you're right yeah but i don't remember uh, who. but yeah in reality it's more like mike jeffrey wanted this he pushed for this and jimmy just kind of went along with it because as we said he hated confrontation so he's just like all right but that's yep. not to say that he didn't do anything yep. because he actually went so far as to in mid-1969 go to his lawyer, Henry Steingarten, to say that he wanted to cut all ties with Mike and wanted Henry to take care of it. Henry gave him the time of day, but made no real attempt to move anything forward, knowing that it wasn't going to happen because Henry was also legally involved with some of Mike's workings. So to do this would be the equivalent of cutting off your hand to hang, deal with a hangnail. <laughs> Tony, that's a really good metaphor until you remember that exact same thing <laughs> almost happened to Beethoven when he had a really bad hangnail. But in this scenario, rather than the hangnail almost killing you and cutting the arm off to stop the infection, it's like cutting the arm off and then the hangnail hires a couple of thugs to come yeah. shoot you in the head. Um, I'm following you. <laughs> you looked like you were right there with me the whole time. I was just a half a step behind you. I got it, buddy. So the hangnail is yeah. the villain. I'm just saying you cut off Mike Jeffries, you might die. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's true. That's, that's true. I'm yeah. getting that. Yeah. That's a, that's a much more clear metaphor. <laughs> I just had to also break the it. fact you made this metaphor and Beethoven almost died from a hangnail and they almost I didn't cut even, his arm off. Yeah. Beethoven's just, you just he's you planted remember? right here apparently in the subconscious. <laughs> they, they didn't lose the arm. Yeah. It would be a very different story if you had. 
Yeah. Yeah. I do. You're, it's coming back As to if me. the deafness <laughs> wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the horrible stomach yeah, pains. Yeah, the stomach, and the diarrhea. The, the fact mm. that he more than likely was shitting himself yeah, every day. Yeah, just pooping into his own body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go, yeah. uh, go listen to our series on Beethoven if you want to hear. It's a lot of fun. Let's talk about very classy music and a very unclassy man. <laughs> very unclassy. Mm. It's a lot of fun. I really sell it. The point I'm trying to make here, though, is that if... Steingarten move forward with this, it would do much more harm than good for his own interests. To put it lightly. Yeah, the hangnail's gonna get him shot in the head. Exactly. That's what Austin said. <laughs> oh my god. And on another occasion, Jimmy was allegedly kidnapped by some mafia guys, so they claimed anyway, who hid him away and demanded that they would trade Jimmy for the Mike Jeffrey contract. And when it was found out where they were, which was literally in the Shokan house, they found a couple punks in Jimmy in the house with Jimmy being calm and collected in a bedroom, which leads to the thought that Jimmy orchestrated this whole thing to make one last desperate attempt to get out. But others say the whole thing was done by Mike to scare Jimmy more. So who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, all these stories are wild as Buck and Broncos, but regardless <laughs> which story is true, it's, it's all crazy. <laughs> yep. Wild as a fucking Buck yeah. and Bronco. You said it, buddy. <laughs> Yep. And, uh, Kicking and strutting and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it did not work. This did not. This, no. this crazy plan didn't work. No, yeah. Two entirely different possibilities with one completely similar outcome. Just nothing. <laughs> yeah. But it, there's a fun speculation that it was done by a couple of lower level mafia guys trying to make their bones. Mm. And that reprise records actually arranged his release because remember reprise was started by sinatra so at this time mafia ties yeah, yeah exactly at this time it was more believable than not that reprise would have at least a couple of higher level contacts in the mafia so that's just a fun possibility a couple mafia contacts <laughs> at the higher levels yeah <laughs> two <laughs> if you just do two <laughs> <laughs> we could never know though and yeah. so with jimmy locked in with mike for this foreseeable future construction on electric lady moved forward and things were changing for the band too jimmy was attempting to connect more with black audiences now making an actual attempt by playing at places he had played at so long ago in Harlem and the surrounding areas. Got to get back to your roots, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if he felt more comfortable now that he had more black musicians or if he just felt that this is where his music was going, more into the realm of blues and jazz. I think we briefly mentioned them in the second or third episode, but two of Jimmy's closest friends were the Aleem brothers, who he befriended when he was mm -hmm. living in Harlem, and they still live there and had steadily been telling him like, hey, people aren't exactly cool with you playing mostly for white crowds in white areas, and I guess it was progressing in seriousness, and they may have played a little role in it him uh coming around i believe it and i think that and i do think that he was having some more inner turmoil with his own blackness like i think that he was struggling more because he was playing for these white audiences but then he was having like the black panthers come to him and like demand that he give them money for their organization yeah. and stuff and he was and just like on free shows and yeah and he was like oh fuck like i'm actually i'm a i'm inadvertently and accidentally becoming kind of a important person in the civil rights movement in some way and i'm not yeah. even trying so i think i have to start walking the walk where i'm and there are people that want more from me yet. 
So I think he's tr- he's really going for it here. Yeah. But over the next couple months, the changing scene and Jimmy's amplifying paranoia to the world would be too much for a couple of the members. And so on September 15th, Larry Lee quit the band with Mitch Mitchell following two weeks later on October 1st. And after the loss of Larry Lee and Mitch, as well as the phasing out of Jerry and Juma, they were back to a three-piece group. Just Jimmy, Billy, and Buddy Miles, with Buddy fully stepping in when Mitch stepped away. And with that, the quote-unquote band of gypsies was formed. And they would be mainly a studio band with them playing only one live show through the end of the year. And it would be on New Year's Eve. And the only reason they played it in the first place was to record the show to make another live album, planned to be Jimmy's fourth released album. Hey, you guys remember in the last episode when we were talking about Ed Chalpin getting the rights to all the profits for Jimmy's fourth album and how Jimmy super cleverly makes that whole a whole lot less impactful? You remember that? Here it is. This is the you one. Remember? This was the album that Ed Chalpin was going to get complete rights over. Hey, fuck you. you fuck. <laughs> they were just like, let's just make a live album. Let's put barely any effort into it. Who even cares? They just wanted to do it quick. They wanted to do a low effort. Genius. They did want to. I, I don't know if it had to be or if they just chose, but it was basically an entirely original live album i don't know if it had to have all new songs on it to be considered a like a release for a fourth album i don't know but it wasn't entirely original or mostly original live album that they could pawn off on ed that wouldn't do much in their mind it was yeah. it was released on new year's eve and new year's day at the fillmore and when band of gypsies was that's the name of the album as well as the name of the band obviously was released on march 25th 1970 in the u.s and june 12th 1970 in the UK, it reached up to number five and number six on the charts respectively. So Ed did all right with this. And if you remember, as I said, he later sold the album for a million dollars to Capitol Records when it was all said and done. So not bad at all. No, it's still pretty great for old Salamanderese, <laughs> but at least this wasn't a piece of... Is that of... a band name? <laughs> nah, that's what I'm calling Ed. What's that even mean? <laughs> Slip, slippery and rubbery. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I actually have a pet salamander. You're not far off. Uh, well, hey, name him Ed. Name him Ed. Rename he'll he'll it. never know. No, they can't learn their name. You're fine. You can call yeah, it whatever you want. They don't know they exist, yeah. I'm just saying at least this wasn't like a piece of brand new intellectual property that he got to own. Oh, God. <laughs> Old salamander names. Oh. Better watch out. Noel might steal that from you. <laughs> it's a bad band name. It's a bad band name. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, no, Mahalo. Noel Redding is dead. Mahalo. Oh, shit. Oh, God. But here in the Rip. waning months of 1969, the band spent all their time in the record plant, recording and messing around. And this was Jimmy's real dream, spending all the time he wanted just getting to mess around with his friends. And now these were his real friends, his old friends, and not his friends hired by Chaz and Mike. Jimmy did have one more thing to take care of in this year, though. The Canadian drug charges. Mm. His case was set for December 8th in Toronto. And amazingly, and I think a little ironically, when he flew in on the 7th, he was once again arrested for drug possession at the airport. But luckily, it was found that those drugs were legal prescribed medication for Jimmy. God, Canada was so stoked for a second that it was going to be nothing but net. <laughs> They're like, fuck <laughs> it. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Got another one. <laughs> so Jimmy left that jailhouse on December 8th, got in his nicest, most subdued suit, and went to court 
where it was discussed for the next three days whether Jimmy was innocent or guilty. Jimmy's defense basically said that yes, he did have the drugs, but they weren't actually his. And they just ended up not in his mind, man. They're not mine. They're not mine. <laughs> they just ended up in his bag as he often got gifts, wanted or unwanted. You know, in context, it's not a bad defense. You know, millions of records sold. Oh, it's a totally legitimate. No, it's yeah. Sound, yeah, 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 it sounds stupid, but it is legitimate yes. in how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically, he says he couldn't have known that they were in his bag when they arrived because he got so many gifts. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, people were just throwing gifts at him on the street, like mm-hmm. clothes, jewelry, apparently stuffed animals were a huge thing. So, like, you're not checking every single thing cut a hole in it yeah you've got no idea how can you prove that that's not where it came from and (laughs) just to shine a little bit of light on his character Chaz Chandler was actually a character witness here and that was like exactly what he told the prosecution on the stand so while things were obviously had gone sour between Chaz and Jimmy he doesn't become a real scumbag ever and he does help Jimmy out several different ways nice guy I think that's a good thing to point out that Though Chaz left the managerial duties that he had with the Jimi Hendrix experience and with Jimmy specifically, he never really was a bad guy. He just was like, this is getting too yeah. much for me and I got to get out. But yeah, he was like, I mean, he yeah. went to go see Jimmy in uh, when they were touring over in the UK and like or over in Sweden. And he like, he was just like, I just can't handle managing you anymore. But, you know, yep. <laughs> kind of like the. I don't want you to go hungry, but you can't eat at this table type of thing. Seat's taken. I can't eat at this guy's table. (laughs) I can't stand this table. (laughs) So on December 10th, after eight hours of deliberation, Jimmy was found not guilty on both counts of possession of heroin and hash, which, as I said, carried out a 20 year prison sentence. If he was found guilty on both and charged with the max. He did luck out. We would have had a 20 year longer series if that would have happened. (laughs) I mean, technically, yeah, he would have outlived himself if he would have been in prison. So that's something to think about. Yeah. Very different. Very different story. Yeah. Uh, That is a sad irony. Yeah. Jimmy was understandably excited by all this, and the 27-year-old spent the rest of the year enjoying himself with his friends and fellow musicians, recording and messing around in New York City. And that is how he would end the 60s. Just seven years after struggling in the same city he was now living in full-time and loving, he had made it so far in just that short time. And as happy as he was at this moment, the new decade would bring absolute devastation and heartbreak and jimmy would be at the center of it all and we will get to it on the next episode of on in five oh strap in and get on your get on your headlamps because it's gonna get dark we are we're gonna we're gonna run all the way up to the day and then we're doing one episode just on the day and on all the dirty conspiracy that comes along with oh it. My oh boy. Two episodes left, There's ladies just, and gentlemen. And so much to unpack. Oh, so come back in two weeks. We'll uh, we'll give you uh, just so many more good, not, well, so many more details. Uh, <laughs> they are up. details, yes. Yeah, they, I will, will not say good or bad. Um, <laughs> 
And oh my gosh, we're about to close it out. <laughs> we're almost there. So check us out on uh, social media. Um, Doesn't seem real. Yeah, we're on in five on everything. Twitter, Instagram. You, you get it. You know the gist. Uh, yeah. Website is on in five podcast.com. Patreon. Tony's done a lot of work. Yes, it actually looks great. Actually, working really hard great. here. <laughs> <laughs> Quit it. You deserve all the pets, but stop. It's fine. It's so, a fine website. But it does have all our stuff on there. You can, yeah, it has links to every place that we are on or most 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 streaming sites that we're mm-hmm. on and mm-hmm. uh, links to our, our social media as well. So on five It's a nice centralized hub. Yeah. 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 So Good. check that out. <laughs> um, Patreon.com backslash on five. Yeah, uh, I think that if you subscribe, if you if you sign up for our Patreon, I legitimately think I'm going to go print out postcards of Liberace in front of the big old Christmas tree and send them to our Patreon. Wonderful. So God. wonderful. So if you want a Christmas wonderful. card from us, <laughs> that's wonderful. 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 It's nice to have a big one if it's, you got the choice. You know, oh, it's familiar. always good. <laughs> so if you well. want a handwritten postcard with Liberace standing in front of a big ass Christmas tree, I'd recommend you go sign up for our Patreon. Any any level is fine. Well, Tony put his face on it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, well I, well, I dub something else in. Probably not. I think the card is perfect with Liberace. One, one person will get one with Tony's face Ooh, on it. I do like it that. It would be fun. I like that. I win something, but I just can't even <laughs> pretend to come up with something good. We got nothing to give. <laughs> come back in two weeks. <laughs> on in five Christmas cards. You want a dirty hooker. <laughs> Tony will send you a hooker, yeah. I'll send you one hooker. <laughs> A lo- local, yeah. Wherever your area yeah, is, yeah, you got to just know of when you're entering. You know, those <laughs> so, high price hookers. We can't afford those. Not on no, Patreon, God. God. Dear God, no. Yeah, we don't have oh, that many. Good God, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be safe Stay out sweet. there. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's coming up. I don't know. Gobble gobble. All right. See ya. <laughs>